and Which twelve. Didn't... It had twelve oxes. Yeah, yeah. Two, four, four more stacked pairs or something, right? Yeah, lots of reverb sounds, you know. Yeah. That's the best right. part of it was when uh, Rupert would talk to you and say, "A little more, a little more." Yeah, right. A little yeah, more, a little I, more. I could never have. I never had the patience to actually use his voice. I would just use the screen, but it was mm. quite the cool thing. Well, when you say a little more, a little more, it reminds me of my sex life. I've always heard that, but we're live now. <laughs> so for those people who who weren't in the Zoom room when we started, you are now catching the tail end of what we were talking about on YouTube and Facebook. So you should come in early if you need the link, you know how to find it. And this is welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to where we are dry and warm here. Uh, hopefully everybody's dry and warm and safe and calm at the Sound Broker Mastermind Roundtable. This is our 39th one. I don't have enough fingers to show you exactly 39. You're gonna have to use your imagination, but here's a safe place to come. It's better than therapy. You know, I, I realize now so many people are telling me that they come and they enjoy the people that are in the room and it's an opportunity to talk to like-minded people. And I said to myself, wow, this is like therapy, but it's, you know, and I didn't want to say it's cheaper than therapy because, uh, you know, it's just better than therapy. Of course, it does cost less, so it's less expensive and also less filling. So where did we hear that before? Anyway, uh, so this is a place where we all come together, talk about what's going on in our industry, how we can survive these tough times so that when COVID disappears, we are all back and we are surviving and doing the things that we love to do the most. Uh, with that in mind, just keep in mind, everything that we say today is an opinion. You need to you need to fact check us. That's all I could say. Fact check everything you hear. But we're going to get wild and rowdy. And if you want to join us, just put some comments in Facebook or YouTube. And if somebody happens to monitor it, we'll answer your questions. Other than that, welcome, everybody. So how is everybody's week gone? Oh, Ken, how are you doing? Best week ever. Started with President's Day. Got better from there. Valentine's Day, right? Would you be my Valentine? Um, <laughs> no, no. I got my second shot on Valentine's Day. That was oh, good happened. for you, David. All right. Yeah. You know, I I got a I got I'll tell you something. I got a gift on Valentine's Day, and I wanted to say it the last. It's from Cat's Delicatessen. And if you don't know what Cat's Delicatessen is in New York City, it's one of the oldest delicatessens in all of Manhattan. And it's it's a highlight. It's there was stage, there was Carnegie and there was Katz's. Katz was on the Lower East Side and uh, the food is delicious. Corned beef, pastrami. And I got a, a Valentine's Day care package with a pound of corned beef, a pound of pastrami. And I want to thank Michael Scher for sending me that, uh, you know, he's a married man. Don't get the wrong idea, everybody. But it was a beautiful gift. And I, I love, you know, I don't know if you guys like kosher pickles, but I've been trying to find kosher pickles everywhere in Las Vegas. And I thought I found a really good one. And I was really enjoying it until I got these pickles from Katz's Deli. And then I realized there is no comparison whatsoever. How's the deli where you are in Nashville? There ain't much of a deli here in Nashville. I just miss Carnegie Deli. Let's go back up to New York and have have lunch. Yeah. Kevin, do they have delis where you are?
Uh, nothing like uh, nothing like cats. You were making me hungry there. Uh, <laughs> Anybody remember the sign in the window at Katz's? Send the salami. Send the salami to your boy in the in the in the open in the military. Yes. And Jan, the funny thing is, we were talking about Prince earlier. I'm, I don't know if you remember Mo Morrison. I do. When he was the production manager, I spoke to him pretty frequently. And all he would say is, there is no food out here for Hebrews. The bagels suck. If you can find them, there's nothing. I went to Katz's Deli and I sent him like this three-foot salami. And he said the highlight of his day, he kept it locked in his work box. And every day at four or five, whenever it was snack time, he'd whip out a knife, carve up a couple of pieces. And that was his... Uh, that was a little little slice of home, you know, sitting there in the middle of uh, Minnesota, with the crazy guy. Yeah, Mo is a good man. Go, I, I work with him a little bit on Prince. Uh, he came and went. Um, at at he was like a consultant for us at Glam Slam. He was. I thought that was uh, the other guy, Skip. Skip something. No, Mo was involved too. Mo, Mo. Oh, that's was, funny because Mo. What's, didn't Mo? Eric didn't Mo used to work for John Shear? Mo worked for John Shear for, for quite a long time. That's pretty much where he started. Right. Out That's on, where I know him from. And how about that? Yeah, I don't think he ever showed up. I think he was just giving me advice on the telephone on what to do, uh, what not to do, and how to stay how to stay out of trouble. By the way, if, just since we're on the subject and may Mo rest in peace. When he no, was Mo old, is no longer living? What what happened? He's, oh, he's not that old. He wasn't that old, was he? He had pancreatic cancer. So, I mean, just oh, terrible. Sorry to hear that. Oh, so Mo was on the um, um, why am I drawing a blank? MC Ham MC Hammer, his his uh, final big tour, and they were at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, and they you know they must have had twenty five buses, twenty thirty trucks, and so I, and I happened to be in the area, so he said come by and, and see him. I walk in the door, and the first thing I see is a huge pile of gear just sitting there and it didn't really make sense since it was late in the day, but I looked closer. The tour was called too, too, uh, too legit to quit. And everybody had X'd it out and wrote on it too much shit to fit. <laughs> and, I, when I, and when I found Mo, he said, you know, there's, you know, the budget is cut. They won't cut any posers uh, or hangers on, but they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll cut, they'll beat up the vendors and send the gear home. I worked on that video. I worked on the too legit to quit video. Morris Leiter hired me to, to provide the sound for that. And they wanted it so big that they, they took every box that we had at A1 Audio at the time, and it still wasn't big enough. So we ended up getting dummy boxes with Marshall cabinets and sticking them up on the wall. And he spent so much money that I knew that they would regret it one day. And of course, that record just didn't do very well. And of course, today, he I'm sure he'd rather have all that money back. <laughs> oh, yes. And speaking of shows and speaking of interesting shows, um, so there's going to be some pop-up shows in New York. Cuomo announced that there's going to be like 300 pop-up shows. Does somebody, Eric, that affects your market because you're probably going to be providing some, some equipment on those shows. Other than it being announced, remember, New York State is a pretty big state. So when, when they talk about 300 shows in New York State, that could be, you know, 10 in New York City. It could, I'm sure they'll be spread out all over, you know, all over the, the, the state. But other than that, I haven't heard a peep on this. Nobody's talking about it. I haven't seen any chatter anywhere on it. What kind of shows are we talking about, Jan? Uh, music shows, obviously, but like, or Broadway shows or what? 
a combination of all art shows. Uh, they called it pop-up shows. I put a link in the chat, but uh, basically they're saying that they were just going to do 300 pop-up shows and they would come out, they would be outdoors and they would be open to the public and the, the state would be supporting them. Supposedly well, I, I there's a Broadway a, component to it. Supposedly, I don't know if it's part of Cuomo's plan, but there, I've been hearing discussion about a, you know, a fairly significant Broadway initiative to be able to do snippets of shows outdoors. Kind of like they did on that TV show they did. Did you see the TV show that no. they did based on Broadway shows? Uh, I think it was an NBC thing. Tina Fey was like the hostess. And it was they did a lot of numbers from show from Broadway shows, but in the street they did it in the street in front of their theater instead of in the theater. Kind of bizarre, but it was it was entertaining. Well, was something supposed to be in Central Park, and I know P O I mean, G obviously would be involved since they've got so much of that business. Um, but other than that, I've heard nothing. Like I mean, I hope it brings business to everybody. But you know, yeah, I, I just I, hope I just hope it's a sign that we're sort of ramping up. You know, I want to I want to see us ramp up and get back to. You know, people feeling okay to get together in gatherings, you know, in, in, in gather in groups, you know, because it feels like it's going to, the way I feel right now, I feel like it's going to be years before people are going to be comfortable gathering in groups. But I hope that's not true. Well, I would hope so, too, because Dr. Fauci has, has said that we should be back more or less to a, a way of life by, a, by a July. If that if they can get the vaccines out now, they're increasing the vaccine dosage and a lot a lot of people now are starting to get the vaccine. And I just found out that Nevada is going to be going into the second tier within a week or two, which will allow me to get the vaccine. So the more people, the more vaccines into people's arms, the faster we're all going to get back into action. Um, what is it going on? What do you hear in your state, Kevin? What's going on in Delaware? Uh, the second round of, of, of vaccinations for the, the for the first tier uh, starts this week. Um, mm -hmm. They've they've moved the vaccine. They've they've moved the. They had really a lot of trouble uh, with distribution places. They were doing it all on the weekends, and it was just huge cattle calls and all kinds of problems. So they've moved it to uh, Dover Downs International Speedway, which is kind of centrally located in the state, and it's going to be a six day event starting Monday. Um, I know my, my, my parents will get their second vaccine next week. So uh, then as soon as that's done, th that six days is over, then they go to the second tier. So mm -hmm. we'll what about in Nashville, Kenny? I think they're still just putting stuff out. I haven't seen much. I saw that we're at like a 12%, you know, um, vaccine rate already of people getting them. So I haven't heard much more other than that. We've been locked down, you know, we've had ice storms came in uh, Saturday night. We've been in ice, had nothing but ice and not above, above like 20 degrees since Saturday. So Nashville is pretty much shut down at the moment. Is, is it as bad as Houston right now? I spoke to somebody in Houston today. They had their, their pipes broke to their house. The neighbor's pipes broke. They haven't had electricity in three days and they haven't had water in four days. I mean, that's amazing. Ken, is that is, right is that now. normal? Is that normal this time of year, Ken, or is that extreme? This is an extreme year. You know, this is colder than we've been for quite a while. But usually, if we get down into teens for overnight and then back up, we're good. But sitting down at you know ten degrees to twelve degrees, I think today was only the high was only seventeen. So, and then 
we're sitting at the bottom between uh, the ice and then we had sleet for, for that and then ice again. So we're sitting with about two and a half inches of, of covering of ice, at least if it had all been, been rain and ice, it would have been rough on uh, trees and uh, electric lines. But with the sleep time, it helped a little. And now we're starting into snow. We're supposed to get a couple inches of snow tonight. So it's just kind of dragging on. What's happened in New Jersey, Eric? It's been cold. There's another eight or, eight or 10 inches of snow coming tonight. And then it's supposed to snow again on the weekend. You know, just, you know, some winters, there's almost nothing. This seems to be the winter when it just keeps pounding everybody. Mm -hmm. It's in the, it's in the, yesterday was in the 40s. Tonight it's going to be in the 20s. Chris, is it snowing in Miami or is it just cocaine? Well, there was some <laughs> over at the Mutiny Hotel a little while ago, I saw. But, uh, you know, it's been like 80 degrees down here. And uh, the Proud Boys have been taking care of getting everybody inoculated. So uh, we're in great shape down here. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> the Proud Boys? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all coming out of Mar-a-Lago and West Palm Beach, okay? Yeah, and your governor is running for president, I hear. He's an amazing guy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but unfortunately, their biggest fan, may he rest in peace, is Rush Limbaugh. You know, an, another voice has, has, has bit the dust. I mean, what, 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 what the, the left won't do to silence the right. Unbelievable. <laughs> that was a joke. Remember... Fact check everything I say. <laughs> All right. So who else wants to what's going on in the vaccine department down there in uh, Florida? Here? Yeah. Here? Yeah. Oh, I'm not old enough. I don't know. So what, what's the My name's on the list? At? And, they, you know, I, I hope to maybe get it sometime. But, you know, if I was a medical worker, they seem to be doing pretty good with it. And I, all the folks that I know that are older than me have uh, successfully gotten both shots and are feeling much more confident. They're actually going out in public and uh, and uh, enjoying life. That's good. Yeah. That's, but, that's... you know, as far as when I'm going to get mine, I'm not sure. I don't know how many counties to sign up in. Uh, I'm thinking at least two. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe by July I'll have mine. We'll see. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Bruce, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, last week, I um, <clears throat> went on the county site and signed up. Uh, it was about a week's wait, and there was a bunch of open slots at Rite Aid because all the uh, qualifying pharmaceuticals, you know, stores, drug stores are doing it now, too. And there was quite a few open slots a week ago for my time frame. I think I'm 10 o'clock on Tuesday. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there isn't now, but they look like they were booking about a week out. And uh, I just got a uh, note from a friend of mine that Hanson Dam, where they have, you know, cattle call, that like people weren't showing up for their appointments, <laughs> which I found very strange. But so I get mine on Tuesday, first one. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I heard that. I heard that when, especially like, uh, just to paraphrase what happened in Houston. Um, they had all of these vaccines ready to go and they had a thousand vaccines that were going to spoil. So they called up the local hospitals, the local doctors, and they said, Hey, who do you know that could take a shot? And they, 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 they got rid of 1000 shots without one of them spoiling. 
And I know down in Los Angeles that um, the pharmacists that have appointments for people to come see them and they don't show up, the pharmacist will call around to somebody, say, hey, do you have anybody in your family that's over 65 that needs a shot? Come up, send them down. And so they are doing their best not to waste any shots. All right, what, they, what, what I was told was uh, a few days last week, uh, they had a lot left over at the end of the day over at Hanson Dam, which is a few miles from my house. And they, uh, people were, were, were lining up who weren't ready for appointments yet, but you know, they don't want the stuff to go bad and go to waste. So once they get to a certain point, they're just letting who's ever there in because, you know, better shoot, you know. Oh, you mean, uh, Bruce, you mean like regardless of their age group or whatever? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe younger people are getting them yep. sooner than they should, but that's right. great to use but it instead of throwing it out. Up, right. They're showing up at the end of the day and waiting for a slot. It's kind of like going to see a, you know, when you're working in New York and you go to a Broadway play and you wait till, two hours right. before the play starts to get your reduced ticket because they didn't sell right. the thing out, you know, kind of like that. Right. <laughs> so, so the question I have for those people is, are they going to get their second shot on time? I mean, what's the chances? You know, I don't actually know. I, I would think that they kind of have to, because once you get your first shot, then you're, you know, I mean, you have to do it within a certain amount of time. Yeah. I would hope that the system would allow them to get their second shot in the correct time frame. Well, yeah, you get your card. Right. Aid. You get your card and your card says your next appointment is in three or four weeks, whatever it is. So, well, I don't know about where, where you are, but I didn't actually get an appointment. It just gave me a, you know, a date range between this date and this date. I need to make an appointment. Well, what I understand is that what David said is accurate. Once you get your first shot, then they put you in, you already get into the queue for the second shot. That's what I understand to be true. Yeah, that's what I've heard also. Yeah. What I'm about in Louisiana? And who, who do, who's our representative on the ground in Louisiana? That could be Steve Sluter. What do you know? Uh, I get the hand. Hey, is that what it is? I get the hand. Better than just one finger. Yes, that's right. There it is. Damn. <laughs> and you call yourself a production. Oh, Jeez. Uh, I should I should get a new computer, I guess. <laughs> still hung over from last night. Yeah. Yeah, we uh we had a non Mardi Gras yesterday. <laughs> of course, of course it was probably uh the coldest day of the year for us too. It actually got down in the 20s, but now it's up in the 50s already, so um we're going to get some rain and it's going to drop back in the 30s tomorrow. And uh as far as the shots, I'm waiting on my second one. March 3rd is my next date. So um 65 and over seems to be um there's enough vaccine out there for everybody it looks like so. yeah now speaking of mardi gras uh i saw on tv that instead of doing floats people are doing their houses to look like floats Have, House floats. <laughs> what do you think of that i i thought it was pretty cool man <laughs> some some of them spent a lot of money <laughs> much what, more than i have <laughs> what did your house look like my house Oh, nothing. <laughs> I you didn't do put, anything. <laughs> just put some gel over your outdoor light. That's it. Your porch light. I didn't even do that. <laughs> I, I would have been down at the camp fishing if the weather was good. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Avoid so, the crowd. 
So now I'm I'm hearing that there are some shows coming up. Like for example, uh, there is a show um, called the Watch the Country Stars for the Island Time Music Festival from February 24th to the 27th. And I believe that that's happening in Ireland. Is that correct? But it's a country music show. Does anybody know about that? Kelly Picker and Kyle Jacobs are hosting that. And Vince Gill is like the headliner with Lee Bryce, Jake Owens. And the money is going to help um, homeless children and disabled mentally children in Mexico. Um, has anybody heard anything about that? It sounds like a TV show, right, Jan? No, no. Yeah. Well, it's it's a virtual event, but it is happening. But closer to home, I think that we've got the AMAs. Now, I thought Dick Clark was no longer with us, but evidently Dick Clark is, is producing the AMAs down in Nashville, and they're doing it in three venues, Ken, the uh, Ryman. Um, I believe they're doing it in uh, the Grand Old Opry, uh, the Bluebird Cafe. Um, do you know anything about that? Yeah, they, they did something like that last year, whatever. It's like a taping setup. So at least I'll get some work out of uh, bands that are playing on it, you know, at least to do rehearsals and stuff to go tape their song. It'll be kind of a put together, not really a award show type. It's going to be just a segments put together. Mm -hmm. So does anybody know of any live shows that are happening? Is any, anybody in this well, room aware well, of any live shows going on with his audiences? Yeah, the the that Christian artist that I mentioned last week. Uh, what's that guy's name again, Ken? Toby Mac. Toby Mac. Toby Mac has been doing shows in uh, Texas, Florida, and maybe some other places. I got a couple others starting up. There's a few other Christian. It's more Christian stuffs coming back. I've got like five shows tentatively on a schedule for Easter weekend. There's a theatrical tour, I just was, was told that by a friend of mine in the trucking business, we're just emailing and shooting the shit a little. And I just said, as you know, has your phone rang in the last uh, in the last year? And he said, believe it or not, it's got an eight tr truck uh, off Broadway, to, you know, off Broadway production on the books for early June. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. But he said, you know, so far, it seems to be pretty high confidence level that it will. I'm curious to find that as it gets closer, what they're going to do in terms of you know, capacity and audience reduction. You know, and I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll talk to him again because I talk to him often and see if he, he's heard anything as to what their plan is. Are you but talking about Frank Stetler? No, I, w I wish it was Frank Stetler because then I'd be doing that to her. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's it just seems to me right now, like I was, I was, I, as we were mentioning last week, that Garth Brooks is selling out and some other big artists are selling, and people don't want their money back. But there is a situation where 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 the major concert promoters are out there now uh, selling tickets again for shows. Has anybody has anybody been contacted at all about any kind of production work down the line? Any anywhere near the in the pipe? Anybody? Yeah, so Jan, I heard a stat. I was on a call by webinar or whatever um, this week, and they said that 82% of people that have concert tickets don't want their money back. They want to they want to hang on to the on the tickets and wait for a new a new uh, a new event to happen. 82%, really really high. That is an amazing statistic. I also heard something like 75% of all people that use statistics 
don't know what they're talking about at all. I, I so, bet the stockholders of Live Nation really appreciate that the statistic. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah right. Including oh, yeah. the new owners of from uh, Saudi Arabia. I think it was Saudi Arabia. So they, they up there. Right. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. You know, now, so five five percent or so of those eighty uh, those eighty two percent is uh, you know helping Saudi Arabia. Isn't that great? They put in five hundred million dollars, is my understanding, into Live Nation. Yeah, at one point that was about an hour's oil production. Yeah, but now the price of oil. At one point, the price of oil went down so low that they had to pay people to take it away, which is pretty amazing to me if you think about it. You know. And uh, and and yet the price of gas, you know, they weren't they weren't paying for you to take it. You had to still pay for the gasoline that you were putting in your car. Well, which I, is kind I'm of looking, interesting. I am looking forward to the marketing campaign that Live Nation or AEG or any whoever this, you know, this is going to put on shows is going to launch at some point. You know, to get try to get people to be comfortable with going back to doing uh, to attending shows, right? Because there's going to have to be some marketing level of, hey, it's cool. Let's you know, let's come and see a show. There's they can't just say come and see a show. There's got to be something to entice the customers to come see a show, don't you think? The liability is still a huge looming issue. That's not going yeah, away. Yeah, but I think soon. I think I think I heard early on, and this may be incorrect now, so you know uh, it's probably stupid to say, but uh, I had heard early on that since you can't trace where you contract a particular virus from, uh, since it's not traceable, that the liability is not so great. I, I would I think totally that, agree. Yeah. I would think that it's it's very difficult to figure out where you got it from because people who people who are very careful and still come down with it, I ask them, well, how did you get it? And they don't know, you know. And the other thing about COVID, which is a really interesting uh, phenomenon, is that just because you get COVID doesn't mean you're going to die from COVID or for that matter, even get sick. So there's a range of, uh, of getting COVID, depending on who you are, from just getting, not even knowing you have it, to the dying. It, it, it's, it, and that's what makes it you know, um, frightening because the unknown is always the most frightening thing there is. You know? Absolutely, 100% agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I would prefer to have two shots in my arm than not have any shot in my arm, but there's still people that, 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 that are not going to go get shots. And, we, and as an industry, we have to figure out what we're going to do about that. And I would think that, you know, um, today Kevin mentioned that he heard when, um, um, when we were talking about dogs were sniffing out the people who have COVID on the line. And now there's rapid testing that's coming along the lines so that people will be able to do rapid testing very, very quickly. And there'll be apps and there'll be passports of, of digital passports, whether you'll be able to show, show whether or not you've had your shots or whether or not you're negative um, very quickly. I mean, right now, think about what's going on. Just if you wanted to go to, let's say Canada, you know, now they 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 want you to have a test before you can cross the border to show that you're negative. I thought you weren't even allowed in. Period. Well, Canada is now requiring a COVID nineteen negative test at any land crossing, 
any any border that you want to cross. So obviously they're letting you in. Whereas countries like Thailand, you have to go and be in quarantine. You have to take a test 40, uh, 72 hours before you go. And then you have to be quarantined for 14 days. So, but that can't go on forever. That just can't go on forever. Like for example, Delta, they decided that they weren't going to do any testing to, for people to fly domestic. You don't need to be tested. You can just get on a plane. My brother, so, and my brother, his wife is Canadian and they went up for three months. Uh, just got back like two weeks ago. And when they crossed the border, they had to have uh, COVID tests show, showing within the last three, four days that they were negative and they had to rent a cabin in the middle of the woods and, and quarantine for two weeks before they could do anything. And they own a condo up there. They couldn't even go to it. They had to be out in the middle of nowhere. So then they were there for three months. Everything went fine. And the government called them every day, supposedly. That's what he said. Pretty much like clockwork. I wonder wow. if the Mars rover had to take a negative test before they got to Mars. Which, does anybody know if they landed today? Could you believe it? We've got a rover on Mars. Does, is, does anybody know anything about that? Lands tomorrow. It lands tomorrow. That, I mean, that is pretty impressive, don't you think? That to have, to have a vehicle going, and not only that, they have plans to bring it back too, is right? Because they're, they're planning on getting moon, uh, well, it wouldn't be moon rocks, they would be Mars rocks, right? And they think that there might've been life on Mars. Yeah, there's also a drone as part of that system. There's a, a helicopter drone that will be able to fly um, low, low altitude around Mars going to be a hell of a, a hell of a you know thing to try to control it with the latency between here and mars though yeah but with, with the uh intel real sense cameras can it won't it'll, it'll never crash <laughs> oh, is that true really well they, they have that they have that in drones so they will not run in the trees they won't they won't run into things cool yeah, the drone that. technology I mean, has come a long way yeah i forget how long it takes for a radio signal to get from mars to here and back do you remember but it's you know it's not it's not quick i am assuming that it was pre-programmed uh, you know the question is is i wonder what type of power they're using to power the drone with and i would think that it wouldn't be normal batteries because it would have well, to be some would, other it would go without saying that it's got to be solar based because the sunlight is virtually everywhere in the well, solar system right it might be uh nuclear based as well Or it could be based on COVID vaccine, and that's why there's not enough to go around. They've used it to send it to Mars. To, I mean, do you think there are Martians up there? Does anybody think they're really Martians? I do. I'm pretty sure. I mean, if they're not, how would they come up with a word? I mean, you have to figure out, how did they come up with a word for something that doesn't exist? Well, the, the uh, drug companies do that every day. <laughs> it's just like it's just like you know smart people you know they, they don't have a word for smart people because they don't exist i'm sorry <laughs> wow <laughs> david you usually follow stuff like science and stuff like that what do you know about what's going on i was about to say somebody invented the word god and then everybody decided he existed so 
it's not so hard. Well, that's a three-letter word that means an awful lot, uh, as, uh, unless you're unless you're dyslexic, and then it's dog, and you know that's another sop, another topic for another show at another time. So um, we are going to move on. Um, let me think. Is there anything else that anybody wants to talk about on what we've already covered? No, great, good, we're moving on. Okay, so one of the highlights of today is we wanted to talk about memorial moments or memorable moments, not memorial moments, otherwise we'd just be talking about RIP, but memorable moments of an experience in our careers. That means remember something. that time. Remember that time when you killed me. You were so bad, Jan. <laughs> I'm killing you every day. I, I, I tell you, it's 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 amazing. But what I would say to you is that you know we all have experiences that stand out in our minds, and I think that it would be very interesting to share some of those moments. And I was wondering if there was anybody that wanted to share any moment um, that is is memorable. And that means something to them in their life based on what, what's happened to you in your career. Is there anybody who'd like to share on something like that? Otherwise, this will be a very short show. <laughs> I had a great moment with Bill Graham. And I don't remember if I spoke about it on this or not. But when the Fillmore East was closing down, when Bill Graham gave up on both Fillmores, or at least the Fillmore East, I had been able to get in backstage because of Peter Scher. Uh, who has been brought up here before. And I was at the last show and it was on stage. It was the Allman Brothers. And it was a great show and it was an amazing evening. And then at the end of the show, you know, everybody cleared out, the bands loaded out, uh, the crews left, all the people who worked there left. And the only people left were a few people on stage, Bill Graham and a couple other people and myself. Somehow I was still there looking at the empty Fillmore East, the legendary Fillmore East, as it was about to be occupied for the last time. And I walked out the door with Bill Graham that night. And it was like a really deep moment for me because the Fillmore was so important in our lives. So I don't remember if I told the story before, but there it is again. Isn't uh, that so, where so, Muno did on the Who night? What, what was that? Wasn't that when the Who played? When the Who played there, didn't? Isn't that where uh, Moon OD'd and they carried off the stage and someone came out of the audience and played drums that night? I I don't know. It wasn't that night. The last night was just the Oldman Brothers and a couple of other bands. At Fillmore East. At Fillmore East, yeah. And you know, I was living in New York City, and I and I was working with that band Mandrill, who had already played the Fillmore East. So because of that, I had a backstage pass that looked like every other backstage pass. So I was able to get backstage to every show after the band played there. So I watched Bob Dylan come out when the band recorded. I watched Frank Zappa record his show there. Uh, I mean, I just was going to the Fillmore East all the time. Unfortunately, it was only open a few more months after the band that my band played there. And that was the, the Olman Brothers last show. I was there when they recorded the album there too. What a great place. All Where right, so so to David, tell us more about the film race. I was never there. Was it was it an auditorium with seats and how many seats? And you know, because I was at the Fillmore West uh, not all too long ago, maybe twenty years ago or something, and that was, I was surprised to see that it at the time anyway didn't have seats. It wasn't a theater. It was more no, like, a, like a ballroom. Right, more like a ballroom. Yeah. So what no, was the, the Fillmore, Fillmore East, East like? Was one of those old New York theaters that had 
you know, 800 seats or something like that. The stage wasn't big. Every time you look at uh, a show on there, it was wall to wall, proscenium to proscenium of band gear. It had a balcony. The lobby, I don't remember being anything special. And, uh, you know, it had the light show from behind with the oil and water mixes and all of that. One of the things that was interesting is that Chaos, John Chester, who's Chaos? John Chester? Anyway, he invented the... Uh, Intercom guy? The Clearcom guy. Well, it wasn't Clearcom, but it was a three-wire device that was rock and roll volume. And they ended yeah. up being distributed around the country for a while, and then it just couldn't compete with Clearcom. What was Bob but, Goddard? I don't remember his name. But uh, but it was called uh, Chaos Audio, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the backstage was typical, you know, like one dressing room on the ground floor and then another couple of dressing rooms on the next level and a couple of dressing rooms on the level after that. But every show was three different bands. It was great. It was a great place to go to see a show. And the second show would start at like 11 o'clock at night and there were no unions. So they could play till four in the morning. It didn't matter which they did many times. Uh, David, did you ever work that. at the, the Capitol Theater in Passaic? Uh, you know, was it similar to that? Yeah, same thing. I think the Capitol may have been bigger. I don't remember that. Capitol was about 3,000 seats. Oh, no, that was way bigger. The Fillmore was, no. I don't even know if it made 1,000 seats. Maybe it did. How interesting. Much smaller. Plus, it was in the Lower East Side of New York. You know, they didn't have stuff that big back then. It was probably a huge theater at one time. Best thing about the Capitol Theater for anybody who's been there, when you came off stage, you went about 10 feet up three steps, and there was this tiny little walkway where there was just a, a janitor's closet and the offstage bathroom that anybody over 200 pounds wasn't ever going to fit in. And every artist that would come in there signed the walls in there. Had I known when it was going to be torn down, I would have gone and tried to literally demolish and remove the bathroom intact. But the funniest, one of the funniest moments ever was sitting on the bowl there, looking above the toilet paper holder, and in girlish handwriting, somebody had written, if you were my husband, I would have poisoned you. And then in man's Sharpie, you know, guy handwriting, the response was, if you were my wife, I would have taken it. <laughs> wow, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of famous people, a lot of crazy people went in, in and out of that bathroom, right, Phil? I saw the Rolling Stones at the Capitol Theater. That's that was uh, they had that you know that level of talent. There was unbelievable. Oh yeah, the Capitol Theater was uh, one of the greatest places to do a gig ever. I even drove out there from New York to see a show, at least one show. Even though it wasn't the highlight of what I was going to talk about today of my career, but one of my very, very first shows that I ever went to see when I was 17 years old was The Grateful Dead at, um, at the Fillmore East. And we had seats like in the 25th row, me and my friend Jesse, I remember this really well, we took the subway to get there. And these, we got there really early. And this old guy, I mean, he was he was really old. I mean, I was 17, but he looked old. He was probably my age now, maybe old. Probably maybe he was maybe like 45 or something, huh, Jan? No, he was older. He was he was yeah. really old. And he came yeah, up yeah. to me and he says, he said to me, he says, Hey, um, you want to change tickets with me? And I said, Hey, well, well, man, I'll tell you, these are really good seats. He says, Well, my seats are up in the fifth row. And I says, 
yeah, I'll trade seats with you. I said, but don't you know it's better to sit in front than back here? He says, well, you know, it's too much noise for me, so I want to sit in the back. I said, well, thanks. He says, he says, you're welcome. I said, how did you happen to have those tickets? He says, I am Mickey Hart's grandfather. And, and he gave me the seats and we went down, we watched the Grateful Dead in the fifth row and it was a highlight, you know, for sure. So uh, I got to see the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore East. You probably got high just being close to them, huh? Well, speaking about getting high, so we're sitting in the front row and this fifth row, right? And these, I'm getting really thirsty, you know, cause there's everybody's smoking pot, you know, and, and this guy, and, and this guy's drinking out of this jug of apple juice. And, and the reason I know, I says, Hey, what are you drinking? And he says, it's apple juice. I say, Hey, could I have a sip of that? And he says, sure. And I go, he says, Hey, careful, man. And as I felt the, I thought they were apple seeds or apple cores going down my throat, but obviously he said, Hey, be careful, man. That's LSD you're drinking. And uh, I've never been, I've never been the same. <laughs> who else has got a memorial story there? Come on, who's, who else wants to talk I about I got something? a good Grateful Dead story. Jeffrey James, who Jan knows, was the, he, apparently he was a drummer in San Francisco. He worked with uh, Janis Joplin. Nobody believes anything he ever said because he was a real con artist, but he really did know people and he knew the Grateful Dead. And so Myrna and I and Jeffrey drove down to San Diego to see the share see the band. The cops in San Diego were like, like fascists back then. And after the show, we're backstage. And one of the two drummers ends up trying to defend somebody who the cops were hassling. And the next thing you know, he gets arrested. And everybody has to go bail him out of jail. So there's a fight backstage. And then the drummer goes to jail. Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who wants to share a story? Come on. Who else? Who's got a, mem a memorable story that they want to share? Somebody in this room has got to have one other than me. I can't be the one with all the story. Ken Porter, come on, tell us a story. All right. Well, I'd like to hear, you know, what I was kind of thinking is, is that uh, shows that people have done or, you know, tours that you've been on that you're disappointed, you're sad that it's over, you wish it would have gone a little longer. My um, one event thing I do, a bunch of different things that are memorable, but the one I remember that I really wish it wasn't over was uh, in 1997, I was doing a, the church corporate stuff. Basically I was doing Promise Keepers. We did the uh, remember, uh, Stand in the Gap in Washington DC where I spent weeks putting together all the stuff for the transmission of audio and everything there. We had 1.4 million people end up in the, on the mall between the mall, the Washington Monument and the Ellipse. But by the time, you know, I walked miles that day, they don't have meters. I couldn't tell you how many times I walked the mall because we couldn't run run scooters or anything back and forth or get around there. So by the time I was over and I loaded out at night and sat there and like, why don't we still have more show? It just feels like, you know, sad shows that you, you work hard on, you do a very good job and then you wish you could do it again. But I was looking at other people and I'm thinking like Chris Carlton and some of the other guys, you know, of what kind of shows you've done that you miss that, reason why it was good there was a lot of people that everybody was into it and and the show was really happening so i'm curious about what other people you know what their life experiences have been chris you want to uh, well, say something kenny yeah i just want to say that you know when you were doing the promise keepers stuff uh i think i was doing rf at for claire brothers at the time 
And it was all about having these four different radio stations going uh, in the stadiums so that the Navajos and the Spanish and everybody could get the, the translation and the hearing impaired going and all that. So, you know, and I was, uh, and Chris Taylor was behind the board and uh, it was, it was a good time with you and your crew out there. I must say, I met some real good guys out there and enjoyed that a lot. You did the East coast runs. I did a bunch of them all over the place. We did Portland. We did. Cause Memphis. I did the ones I was on had Dave Morgan a lot of times. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see Dave out there, but I think he was. Uh, maybe him and I were tag teaming it. I'm not sure. So, but I yeah, it was East Coast, West Coast. They had two different teams. Uh huh. Okay. Anyway, you had a great crew out there, and uh, you know Rusty and uh, and Mr. Flat and everybody was uh, all great guys out there. So, but I wanted to hear some of your stories about. Uh ones of uh julio or you know well can i can i tell you a little story about you know i kind of missed the the opportunity to tell the story a few weeks back when we were talking about airplane rides and special landings and uh out with julio i think it was 1986 if i'm not mistaken we had leased a c-130 hercules c-130 from the argentine air force to do a run in South America and the Caribbean by loading, you know, uh, maybe 16 Claire Brothers S4s and a bunch of band gear and Julio's wardrobe and three positions, pallet positions of seats for the crew. And of course, the Argentine Air Force had a big staff of their own. There was like eight guys and they wanted to bring their wives. So we had a bunch of guys uh, on board the C-130 and we went from uh, Porto Alegre, Brazil, up to Manaus, up to Venezuela, did a bunch of shows in Venezuela, flew over Dominican Republic, uh, did, did a show at Casa de Campo. I don't know if you know Alto State Chavon, the amphitheater that they have there. It's a very special place. And they had, at the time, they had a very short runway to where the C-130 had no problem. I mean, that thing was made to land in the jungle uh, in a very short runway, but we landed it there. Julio's jet, I think he had a Gulfstream 5 at the time, all, it did a touch and go. They didn't quite make the runway, so they had to take off again. He was quite upset after that. Anyway, we did a show. We loaded everything back into the C-130, and it was time to head back down to Buenos Aires. So we're in this plane after working all day and then partying all night, and uh, we're, I'm in the front of the, the cockpit. They invite me up there to fly into Caracas. And if you've ever flown into Caracas, it's gorgeous. And the, the windows and the cockpit of a C-130 are huge, okay? So I'm looking at the Southern Cross coming up in this beautiful uh, bay of Caracas. And uh, we landed there for refueling because the C-130 didn't carry a lot of fuel and it burned a lot of fuel. And we took off from there, went to Manaus. Uh, on the Amazon and refueled again there. And shortly after that, we took off and we're all asleep and they come back and they're saying, hey, what can we do to lighten our load? You know, the back of the C-130 has a, the tail that the, the bottom end will, will open up and that's how you push the pallets in there. And this is about the same time that uh, shortly after the movie, uh, had, had come out was the gods must be crazy where the guy's going through the Kalahari and his little Piper cub throws out a Coke bottle 
and it hits one of the natives in the head in Africa, and they don't know what this thing is, where it came from, what to do with it, and they're doing all kinds of stuff like crushing corn with it, having a great time, and then they're fighting over it, of course. So we have visions of, you know, one of the engines was had gone out, and another one was smoking. So it was getting a little bit desperate, and uh, and this, they're asking us, what can we push off the back? And so we're, we're thinking that the natives down there are going to be building pyramids out of S4 cabinets and running around with Julio smoking jackets on. But we didn't have to do that. We landed at this beautiful waterfall called Iswazu, and that's where the sunrise was. And I was very happy to, uh, to have survived that and, uh, and make my way back down to Buenos Aires. It was about a 24-hour trip, but we made it, and uh, everybody had a good time. You know, C-130s were designed back in the early 50s when the Eisenhower had come up with the plan for the uh, interstate highway system, and they were worried about the, the Russians coming in and invading U.S., and the C-130 was designed for the interstate system to where it could take off and land in like 300 feet of interstate, land in, on and off of the interstate. Yeah, I guess they, they used them in NAM a lot too, right, to, to land uh, cargo in very short runways in the jungle. So what happened was we actually tipped the tops of the trees when we took off from Casa de Campo, from San Domingo. I don't know if that caused any damage or not, but it, something happened to where two engines were gone by the time we got down to the middle of Brazil. So, Did you have to dump any gear? We did not dump any gear. We didn't dump any people. We all stayed on board and uh, had a wonderful breakfast down in, uh, on the border. Of, uh, of Brazil and Argentina, where this fantastic waterfall is. If you ever have a chance to see this waterfall, it's, it's tremendous. It's Faz de Guasu. It's amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's the seven, it's seven waterfalls that come together. It's the largest, yeah. it's the largest waterfall in the world. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You know, it's funny, Chris, I'm glad you're alive and I'm glad you're still here. And there's going to be, we want to share more, but it, I have to say, you know, I do a joke of the week and it just it just happens to be that your story reminded me of a, of, a, of a joke. And the joke basically goes where this plane takes off from California is going to New York and they're up in the air about 10, 15 minutes. And the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we just lost the use of one engine. No worries. This plane is designed to fly on three engines. We're just going to be two hours late. About 15, 20 minutes go along. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, hate to inform you of this, but we just lost a second engine. Nothing to worry about. This plane is designed to fly on two engines. Uh, we are just going to be four hours late. An hour later, the pilot comes up and says, ladies and gentlemen, hate to tell you this, but we've just lost a third engine. Nothing to worry about. This plane is designed to fly on only one engine, but we're going to be eight hours late. And two guys are in the back and one guy says to the other, man, I sure hope nothing happens to that other engine. And his friend says, yeah, otherwise we'll be up here all night. <laughs> so that's the joke of the week. Okay, Eric, you must have an, I, I have a feeling that you definitely have some experience that you want to share. I could just see it. I feel it. It's You do have to turn your mic on, though, Eric. But he, this was the time when he did the show for the mutes. That's what it was, you know? Exactly. Those people that were deaf. 
Um, I, I will come up with a story for next week, but in, you know, just in case you run out of time, I wanted to bring up that link that I sent to you. Oh, yes. Talk about that link. And then we'll go back to the stories. Um, after a very circuitous path, I got an email back from the SBA today because I've been, been emailing and encouraging others to email about uh, the, the shuttered venue operator grants and how it's ignoring the production side of the industry, which is 92% of the industry versus venues and how it should uh, take care of the venues as well as the service providers. And I got an email back from the New Jersey head of the SBA basically saying, you need to write to the national ombudsman if I pronounced that correctly. And she shared a link and said, anything you have to say, this is the best place to say it. So if you wanna share that, I think it would behoove everybody here that is interested in you know, addressing this you know, sort of, um, issue of not having anything really for the production community at the moment, particularly since somebody said last week that restart is, uh, is not going to happen and should be writing in, getting everybody in their contact database to write in and just, just keep pounding them with emails every day, as many as you feel up to, or as many as you think you can get others to feel up to. Okay. Well, if you give us the link in the chat, we will, we will post it on our Facebook page, we will post it on our YouTube page, we will post it everywhere. And, and I, I recommend that everybody does the same thing on your social media and we'll get it out there, okay? Because if we all do that, then it'll all happen. And by the way, if you happen to like what you're seeing on Facebook or YouTube, give us the like, give us the thumbs up and remember to spread the link around so that uh, more and more people can see this as well. So, okay, um, who has something else they wanna share? Is there anybody in the room that wants to share something that uh, a story and experience anything along those lines? Ken, you you've you've done your sh your fair share of uh, shows. You've worked with Manilo. You've worked with uh, Julio. You must have some experience in your life that just stands out, other than doing the House of Blues with me. <laughs> well, certainly uh, lots of experiences, but. Uh... You know what's going to be interesting to anybody else? I don't know. So Nina Baker story. Oh, oh well, yeah. It's I, I, it's I have a great Anita Baker story because Anita Baker has a reputation for being such an evil person and so mean to all her sound people and everything. And my story is pretty much the contrary of that, right? But uh, it's a pretty long story. So let me give you. I'll save that for next week. Okay, okay, David. But, All right, we'll save the, that for but, next week. We'll see. But the but the but the one that I, I think is nice, short one. I'm doing uh, Shirley MacLaine's sound, which I did in starting in 1983, and it's 1984, and we're at the Gershwin Theater in New York City, um, and it was uh, you know we were there for like a month or something, and you know we do the show and it's just another show and i thought it was fine and everything but you know i get a tap on the shoulder hey mister after the show the show's over he goes hey my name is michael bennett and you're a genius and i was like wow that's fantastic and i don't know if you guys know who michael bennett is but he wrote and directed a chorus line a little broadway show that was kind of popular in that day but i was like kind of blown away and that's really cool when somebody takes the time and you know somebody of that you know stature comes over to you and tells you that you're doing a good job. That was really cool. So that made a big difference to me at the time. And I thought you were going to tell the story about how you introduced me to my ex-wife. Oh well, thank God you didn't tell that story. <laughs> oh yeah, there's that. Like, well, how about how about this? <laughs> like. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you, Mr. Manilow. Thank you, Mr. Manilow. I'll tell you, the, the, <laughs> uh, hey, Richard Bevins, I know you've got some stories. I know you must have a story. Is there anything you want to share? I've got a lot of stories, Jan. I've been truly blessed, as many people in this room, um, in this chat room, uh, have been or Zoom room. But I will share one that I actually uh, got. A, it's an experience I got to share with someone else in this room. I'm pretty sure he was there. Um, it was a pseudo corporate event. It was at the Shriver Air Force Base in Golden, Colorado, um, where we did a uh, minister, Ministries of Defense meeting. Um, and it's weird, it's an Air Force base, but there's no runways on that like Air Force base. And uh, we were, um, you know, we had to get quote unquote, you know, secret government clearance. The kind where it's an eight hour application you have to fill out. <clears throat> and we were, uh, we set up a big tent outside and then we'd set up some other stuff inside running um, cables in these uh, classified, non-classified trays underneath the floor um, of their conference room and, and whatnot. And uh, it was a trip over we there for, I mean, my company was there for over a month. I was there for three weeks. And it was just the most bizarre um, corporate job by far that, that I, I, had, I had ever done, or most bizarre job, I guess, in general. Um, but it was, it was certainly a lot of fun. I'm pretty sure Mr. Newman, you were there, were you? Were you not? You were, yeah, I was okay. there, yeah, yeah. I, I managed pretty... to get the secret clearance. I did too, Skin yeah. of my teeth, by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> Yeah. So would you agree that it was a pretty freaking bizarre job? That was definitely a, a, a show, if you want to call it that, for the books. Yeah. All, all I can remember, for some reason, uh, Richard, you know, there's certain things I remember from that gig. And one of them was a really stupid thing that I said to you, asking you to tell David Layton something. And then that was that was stupid. And then, and then but for some reason, one of the, like, you know, military guys that was sitting behind one of our 803 or 802 intercom panels. He was confused yeah. by it and he was just he was just really confused by it. And I remember he said something along the lines of, oh, this is this, our comm system is just horrible or something like that. You know, and we had gone to great lengths uh, to make it be as great as it could be. And uh, he was just not happy at all about the comm system. And it was interesting. Yeah, we we actually brought in uh, uh, Tony Kramer from Las Las Vegas yeah, at the time. Really he was the it, yeah. he was the guy. And on that job, it's funny. We sent one semi of gear from from uh, Orange County, and we had a we had so much FedEx coming in that the hotel actually dedicated a hotel room for all of our FedEx that came in every day. And then we had three semis going home. <laughs> That's how much FedEx and you yeah, cable that was cable for days. At the time, at the time, that was probably one of the, if not the largest or most money making or most something gig that video apps had done, right? Yeah, we spent so much on on capex on that. It was, which you know, it, it all washes out. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a big job for sure. So anyway, that's my story. I shared that mostly because Ken was in the room, and it was bizarre. <laughs> it was just, it was just the most bizarre uh, corporate job ever, if you want to call it corporate. I guess it yeah, because it was kind of kind of military, government slash corporate slash you know international. It was lots of things in one. It was very bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as as a as a, an example of how bizarre it was, we had to set up 120 self-powered speakers all the way around the tent outside and run pink noise away from the tent during the meeting, so anyone with a laser microphone could not listen in on the meeting. 
and the tent was a, a, a it blocked um, infrared. Um, they had literally had armed guards on top of the tent, and we were in a very secure. I mean, the most secure place I'd ever been. Um, and yeah, you had to have the right kind of clearance, or you, you were not. I mean, they would they would weigh you. Uh, every day before you went in and god forbid you weighed more when you were leaving that place because you were looking down the barrel of an m16 and we saw it multiple days you know i saw a camera guy who had a pass for a camera but didn't have a pass to take pictures and he was spread up against the wall with a couple of m16s at his back i mean it was just it was a daily occurrence stuff like that it was it was it was, it was a lot of fun so the, evidently they didn't feed you well right because if they were weighing you Oh, they fed us really well and really cheap. It was fantastic. <laughs> I remember that. That's what I do remember that too. Yeah. You, he, when when Richard was explaining that about the weighing, I rem, that reminded me of how great the food was. They had like a cafeteria. Well, I guess they called it a staff cafeteria or something. Commissary. It was, it was great. It was yeah, commissary. Right. It was great. I mean, if if you actually came out, say, with a laptop that you didn't go in with, and you weighed, you know, five pounds more, and you would go into this this it was like it was like a phone booth. They would weigh you and. It hit, hit the right number in order to get in, and you were locked in there until they wanted to let you out. And and if they wanted to hold you there, they would, you know. And, and it was before it was before nine eleven, obviously, right? Uh, and then actually, no, I bet you was after. Was, yeah, but but, yeah, but the interesting been. thing was, but what, what? Tell us about because I don't really remember exactly what it was, but tell us about the uh, overall reason for the gig wasn't it just simply to prove that this technology would do a certain no. thing what it was was tell. um it ended up not being a, a quote-unquote secret event because it was in magazines and whatnot but it was uh it was when the nato army was being established or being introduced the first nato um sanctioned army so of, of all the different NATO countries were going to have their own army or armed forces and they were showing the ministers of defense they actually ran this mock um, uh, uh, Miss Mock uh, takeover, you know, gorillas come in and take over a country or whatever. So they ran this whole mock thing using reporters. And that was, that was also very complicated, the video playback system, because they had 10 scenarios, depending on how the questions were answered. We had screens everywhere for these guys to see. But um, so they were trying to show the ministers of, of defense that how quickly these decisions had to be made. Do you, do you deploy these people? You know, how quickly, how, how do you deploy them? And then the thing that we were doing inside was a, a, a carbon copy of what was set up outside. It was a command center um, for that. As, as I, at least that's, that's, how, that's how I uh, recall it. So you're, you're right, Ken, it probably was before 9-11, maybe just a few years. So, but it was a trip. And, and, then, and then during the show, you couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> if you remember that, Ken, I, I had to beg and plead to get the escort to go to, go to the bathroom. Sounds sounds familiar. Definitely, that was definitely a bizarre one. Yeah. Did did they have dogs sniffing around to make sure uh, that the? Uh... Yeah, they had everything. I mean, they they poured this two hundred foot by three hundred foot concrete pad just for the tent. Um, that's the other thing that I remember going inside the the building, the the actual missile defense agency building. When you they had a, a hallway that went around the whole outside of the building, and then when you went inside the building. It's like you're on a ship where you had to like step over these two little things and these watertight doors type would, would close. And it was a lead line building, literally, because the radios that we had outside, as soon as you went inside that building and that door closed, your radio, nothing. It was just gone. 
So you just save them to your cell phone. If we would, I'm sure we had cell phones back then. Probably a dollar a minute days, but um, but yeah, it was it was the whole thing. It was just something else. Yeah, it was in uh, September of 2003, so I guess it was after 9/11. Oh, I just looked it okay. up. Yeah, there you go. I guess that's where the expression comes from. If I tell you about this gig, I'm going to have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it was close to that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. It reminds me of somewhat when I did some shows where the president would be in a room, you know, uh, which is which always is one of the things that I really despise, because when they were ready to run those dogs through the room, that room was empty except for them. And uh, and and that always made it a challenge to prepare a show when you were dealing with, uh, the you know, with the president of the United States, which I always dreaded doing, you know, it was just just too much pressure. Uh, you know, what a time, what a time sensitive job that is. And if you don't have it together, by the time they're ready to seal that room off, it's just not going to come together. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Same thing with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So does anyone else have, thank you so much for sharing, Richard. Does anyone else have anything that they want to share right now? Or is it my turn? Well, I mean, I'll tell, I have a, I have a little anecdote that's along the same lines of what Richard just shared um i'm doing a corporate job for this company that some of you might have heard of some of you might not they're called palant palantir software security they make the software back end that the nsa uses that they're one of the they make some of the software that edward snowden did the big expose on uh the very very intense surveillance software that runs the back end of our government so we're doing this show for these folks and I mean, probably not as secure as what I'm hearing about this video apps job, but a pretty darn secure situation with a lot of confidential information happening. And, um, uh, you know, it was pretty, pretty seriously locked down gig. Anyway, the show finishes at the end of loadout. The, the client had supplied a bunch of the stagehands and camera operators and a bunch of the people to sort of keep stuff under their umbrella. And so at the end of the loadout, uh, we're looking for a, uh, remote control for a television. And I'll be damned, we're looking everywhere for this remote control for the television because we have to return the sub-rented television. We don't want to get dang 50 bucks for the remote. We're looking everywhere, we're looking everywhere. We open up, okay, we're looking at all the Pelicans. We open up a Pelican, a camera case. We open up this camera case. Inside the camera case is a sandbag. One of the stagehands had taken the camera body, walked off the job site. And supposedly this most secure uh, project anywhere, one of these client-provided camera guys just walked away with a full-on broadcast camera body, yeah, a uh, HXC 100 camera body, probably $50,000 camera body. So so was this at Moscone Center? No, this was at Palantir's headquarters <laughs> in Palo Alto. Yeah, I know, Moscone Center, there was a guy who built a whole fly pack out of stolen stuff, a security there guy. There was someone that took it that on a on a coffee break, he someone stole a full production camera from front of house on a coffee break. With the lens, you mean? And when you say yeah. full, like the yeah, lens and the everything. Whole thing. The whole God came damn back, it. his camera was gone. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, they well, that, that reminds me. That reminds me of the uh, Javits uh, story yeah. that you always hear when you go to go to work at Javits, right? About the boat on the elevator. Yeah, about the boat. You want to tell the story, Richard? Go for oh, it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, you you probably know it better than I, me. I think it. I think it's folklore, actually. Uh, it's like, 
Oh, I doubt that. I doubt that. It's because because the reason you hear it is because that's the reason the IA is not not the main union at the oh, yeah. uh, Javits Center any longer. Absolutely right? correct. Okay, so you know the story then, Eric? Yeah. That the the other one was uh, was then they, they also found uh, at one of the dental conventions somebody had stolen an entire X-ray suite and had hidden it in the building. So the IA was in big money. The, and then they got booted out, and then the, the you know then the IBEW was in there, and it's been there since then, and it's one you know the, the, it's one of the worst crews in the country to work with. Uh, not if not the worst, yeah, right. Oh, just horrible. This is where I will add that everything that we say is an opinion. <laughs> this is my opinion. My opinion. Some guys, some guys love that crew, you know. But and you I, must do I, your I, own fact checking on that, right? Yeah. You know. I don't you know, know, man. Ooh, the IBEW—they're so. just not—they're just not into it. They're not knowledgeable, and they don't want to be knowledgeable. So, like, what more could go wrong, you know? We we were doing a show at the Century Plaza one time, and it was a pretty big gig, and there wasn't any room backstage or in the green rooms on the bottom floor. And you know, no. where where the wings are, you can go upstairs, and there's rooms up there like dressing rooms. So we had graphics and video, and this was in the '80s. A lot of you know, big honking computers of stuff back there, early '80s. And uh, the second night, we came in the next morning, and all the computers had been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> so. So of course they ran to Best Buy and bought new computers and then took them back after the show, I'm sure. But I'm sure you've heard stories about that. But anyway, so what we ended up doing is uh, we put a lighting pole in each room and a lipstick camera, one little tiny camera up on a pole. Two days later, they all came back to do it again, got them all on tape. <laughs> it was hotel employees. Because you know nobody locked their computers down. because probably, were... probably the security department employees yeah, security and some uh and some house house oh my god that's what you call an inside job huh yeah there's a lot of those floating around oh it's too bad yeah it's a happy ending you know i was i was gonna tell a different story but you mentioned the century plaza i did a i don't know how many shows i did at century plaza because when i was producing shows what i would do is i would produce the kind of shows i would be the technical producer for multi-talented events so they had celebrity performing they would always they would always have to share equipment and my personality believe it or not would be able to keep some of these people in line and i remember working for debbie reynolds um and she did this show called the 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 thalians ball and it was Every year they had a Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Wonderful. And I got to meet uh, and got to work with Lucille Ball, Angela Lansbury, George Burns. But one year, um, Jimmy Stewart was Mr. Wonderful. And I had just released the crew and he, Jimmy Stewart wasn't supposed to be there till eight o'clock. This was at six. And I get a call on my walkie talkie from the kitchen that there's some guy walking around in the kitchen uh, that uh, mentioned my name and I thought I should come out. So I come out there and sure enough, there he is bigger than life. Jimmy Stewart, six o'clock, two hours before the show. And I said, Mr. Stewart, what are you doing here? We was going to send the car for you. And, you know, I wish I could do a Jimmy Stewart voice because this, this story would sound so much better if I could do that. And we started talking and then I was so blown away that he was there. He turns to me, says, do you think we can go someplace else to talk other than the loading dock of the kitchen of the Century Plaza? I said, sure. <laughs> so I took him to his dressing room. And I said, uh, and then I was going to walk out and he says to me, he says, do you think uh, you could stay for a little while? And I said, of course I could stay. And I got to spend 45 minutes with Jimmy Stewart 
talking about life. And that was one of the highlights of my life. And this guy, I got to tell you about Jimmy Stewart, he did not know that he was a megastar, not at all. But I will leave you with just this part about the story. Did you know? So I said to the guy, I said, you know, you're in my favorite movie of all time. And he looked at me and smiles and says, Harvey? <laughs> and I said, no. He says, yeah, I know. It's a wonderful life. He says, you know, I turned that movie down three times. I said, you're kidding. And he says, no. He says, do you know who was originally? Does anybody in the room know who was originally cast in that movie instead of Jimmy Stewart? It was Humphrey Bogart. It was Humphrey Bogart, but because he was doing the African Queen, he had a stroke, and they they because he was under contract with I guess Warner Brothers at the time, they made him do the movie, and um, that's that's the story. The, he he turned it down, and if if he if he if they didn't force him into doing the movie, probably uh, you know it wouldn't be my favorite movie. So that's my story for today. Um, anybody else want to have anything to say? Anybody that has Just about that movie, it was not a hit when it came out. It became part of America's history after the copyright ran out. And the TV stations found that they could run it for free. And so they started running it around Christmas or Thanksgiving or whenever it is. And the rest of the country picked up on it, it became the huge hit that it is. But in the beginning, it didn't do well at all. Hey, Jan. Didn't know that. Ken. Has anybody heard from the uh, our friend in Austin? Is he okay? You know, I haven't seen him on, on in the house today. I didn't know if it oh, heard him. Paul Wallace. Yeah, Paul Wallace. He's got to have power to get online. He might not. He probably doesn't have power. I, I don't know. This guy dances to a different drummer. You know, so uh, basically, um, he probably has his own generator. He probably, you know, at one point in time, he he was, you know, like the number one uh, computer salesman of all of Texas. And he sold like, you know, he sold everybody a computer. So I'm sure he's OK. Um, I think John Preto's in the room. Um, John, did, did you see Paul today? I didn't have my mic set up. <laughs> uh, we have not seen Paul in three days. It's funny you said that because we were just talking about him today on office hours. I'm going to send him an email. I have his phone number too. I'll reach out to him and find out how he's doing. Yeah, I, I, I hope he's other okay. people in Austin that are friends with Paul. We all met on Blab six years ago and uh, they're all doing fine. So Paul's the only one I haven't talked to yet. Yeah, I worry about it because I heard that. Yeah, I, well, I'm not going to say what I heard, uh, but um, I, I know that I now had to put my uh, silicon sex doll away because there's been major hacks and they could kill you. They could actually kill you now. So I'm alone again. Unbelievable. Damn. Oh, well. Just remember, everything you hear is just an opinion. It might be true. It might not. But that's it for us. <laughs> so does anybody else want to say anything before we say goodbye to those people who are watching us on Facebook and YouTube? And then we could talk about them in this room. Anybody at all want to say anything? Just now's the time. That's it. All right, you guys out there in TV land. Just remember, we'll be back here next Wednesday, same same time, same place. Remember to click the like button. Remember to tell your friends about this. And remember, you make it happen. Be safe and stay healthy and stay warm. Because, hey, campers, it's cold outside. And we will see you again next week. So stay safe and stay healthy. 
until then, and then even past that time. And we are 